take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and following will be our text this morning. As most of you are aware, we've finished the book of John. This summer we are doing a series on the scriptures and a series soon to start in a few weeks on who is Jesus. Um, what a great little series. They all become from texts and expositional preaching, but uh, we thought we'd do a few series this um, summer and then this fall. Uh, you can pray for me as I am pleading with God to show me what book uh, he wants me to teach next, uh, but we're excited about this current series. This is a great passage of scripture, one that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, but truths that just can be continued to be mined out of this uh, as we learn from God's word. Follow as I read verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterances as this was made to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. It is a pure joy to open it. We have confidence in it, Lord. It is not a a document that is ancient and fading away. It is more relevant today than it has ever been, Lord. We hold to it as the words of God, as truth for today. Lord, we pray that in a world that is shunning and declining away from scriptural truth, that we, your children, who you have saved for eternity, would stand upon its principle with unashamed Unashamed boldness, birthed in humility, that the word of God is unchanging. So Lord, help us as a church, as individuals, as families, that we would be men and women, boys and girls of the word of God. And Lord, if we study the word, it'll lead us to your son. It'll bring a smack dab to his glory. So Lord, may we hold to these truths we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Today's Christianity is um, being overrun by certain truths, or untruths, we should probably say. They're being un- overrun by terms like the word of faith movement. Men and women receive something from God, some word that they must tell you, and that God has spoken to them. People are constantly coming up to me it seems as I move around in this world and tell me that God has a word for me from them if you know me at all that's a little bit disturbing (laughs) I don't think God is speaking through you to me 
in some revelatory matter or way. Now, it doesn't mean that you may not share truth with me. God's word may have a, have a beautiful truth that you may want to encourage me or challenge me with or, or confront me with. But we do not hold to a word of faith movement. And the problem is, is, is what has happened in Christianity, and it's not, and you can see even by our text today, and I'll show you many others this morning, that this is not new to Christianity. The experiential, experiential movement the emotional movement that has been in the church has caused great damage. Because now the scriptures do not come to a solid meaning, a solus meaning. They come to a meaning of whatever you think they come to, or I think. And so the word can be shifting and changing depending on experiences and persons. And thus it loses its authority. Now, don't get me wrong. I get great emotions when I study the scriptures. You have watched me preach for many years. That is not something that I get all worked up on for an hour on Sunday. You should see me in the office. It's worse. I will kick Michael's door down so excited because I have a passage of scripture that's just jumping off the pages and kicking me all over the office with. There is great emotion as you study God's word, but it must be, has to be, centralized in the word of God. Then we know that those excitements and joys are based in truth. Not in what man thinks or what man can come up with. That's why the word of God says that so much of the doctrine of the church is like shifting sands and shadows that move, like ships without rudders. Because they are not grounded in the word of God. And we must be careful of that. Individually, how we speak to one another. And the problem comes because we, the body of Christ, don't often know what the Bible says. And so we use words like this, and I am guilty of this from time to time, saying, I think. Hmm. We probably should respond in a very kind and humble way. I don't really care what you think. What does the Bible say? Can we do that? Catch me next time I do that? Well, Scott, that's great. You think this, but do you have a passage? We want to be assured in the word of God. We want to know that, that what we speak and what we say and what we hold to as husbands and wives, parents, as church members, that we understand this coming from the word of God. It's foolish when you think about it. If you asked me how to get to Las Banas this morning, and I said, well, how do you feel? Because I have a route that could take you a little longer to get there. Or if I grab your phone and put it in there and say, follow this, go over 152. See, we have that. We have that in the word of God. We have the ultimate map, the ultimate instruction book to live our lives for his glory, for, for life and godliness, as Peter says in verse 3 of our text. And so we must, we must again this morning convince ourselves to be students of the scriptures to read the Bible daily, to put our noses, our little spiritual eyes and hearts into the word of God and say, Lord, I want this to get me. One of our wonderful teachers at the seminary, dear friend of mine, struggling with cancer now, um, class after class, he would say, men, open the Bible and let the word of God jump all over them. Quit telling them what you think. 
Let the word of God speak. And that's what we want. We want the word of God to speak. And when you share the word of God with people, you can be certain that it'll change lives. I promise you, if you just memorize some verses and then say, God, will you bring someone in my life that I can share that verse with you, with them? I, I, I promise you'll do it. And you'll share the verse with them and they'll ask you what it means and you'll say, well, this is what it means. This is what God's saying here. And they'll go away and hate you or love you, one of the two. But you'll get to share the word of God. I, I invited you to read How Readest Thou by J.C. Ryle last week. We got more copies in the resource center in the back. I invite you to grab one on your way out. It's just a small booklet, very cheap. But in his testimony, he says this about the word of God. J.C. Ryle was a, raised in a, he says, a nominal Christian home. I think that's, this is, we're talking 1800s at this point. I think it's very true today. There's a lot of nominal Christian homes. I mean, we, what do you do? Well, we go to church on Sunday and then, you know, it just, it's just nominal. I, don't, I couldn't tell you where, you know, Habakkuk is. I, I couldn't tell you where, you know, the pastoral epistles were. You just, you just go, the music's good. Oh, that was, the service was pretty good. And you go home with your life. That's a nominal Christian. He was raised in a nominal, a nominal Christian home, he says. He says he once believed that Christianity, though, must be one of the most disagreeable occupations on earth. That's how he, as he grew, he began to say it was just disagreeable occupation on earth, didn't want anything to do with it on heaven or earth, he said. And these are his own words. He said, but one day I happened into a church where upon hearing the scriptures read out loud, I was transformed. One verse and emphasis were made in this way gripped me. Quote, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Reflecting on his conversion, Ryle said, nothing to this day appears to me so clear, so distinct of my own sinfulness and the preciousness of Christ and the value of the Bible than that day. Because someone stood up and said, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not, a gift. It is, it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Lest you stand before him and boast. One verse. Someone knew a verse and shared it. And we received, the world received, one of the greatest pastors and preachers that the world had known in J.C. Ryle. And so, in introduction-wise, I want to convince you again this morning that the Word of God holds the truths that you need. And I will plead with you over and over through this series to read your Bible, to read it, to believe it, to share it with someone else. Our text this morning is a fascinating text. It is written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter. Peter is telling us some wonderful things. And I want to look at just three thoughts as we go through this this morning. Number one is Christ's glory unveiled and the amazing experience of the apostles. Because it was an amazing experience and he's going to relay this here. And you see in verse 16 that he starts to unveil this experience. We were eyewitnesses of it. We saw him receive glory and honor. In verse 17, we heard utterances from, from the majestic glory. We were, he even recites what he heard there. And these utterances were made from heaven on this holy mountain. So he's relating an incredible story, a credible experience that three men, Peter, James, and John, went through, and nobody in the world else saw this 
except the Lord Jesus Christ in them. And so here we have this experience, but notice how he starts this experience out. Look what he says in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard this before? The the apostles love to talk this way because it's evident when you read the Bible that there were lots of people telling clever stories. In fact, probably what became prominent within the early church was storytelling. Very little scripture, lots of stories, and lots of cleverly devised ways to tell them. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We want to validate that with the word of God, that what I've said is true. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So Peter's told us that we didn't devise these schemes and these cleverly laid out plans. That wasn't what we were doing. That's, that's not our purpose to do this. Let's hear what Apostle Paul says, who was not up on that mountain that day. But let's hear what he has to say, chapter 2, as he writes to a church that is caught up in oratorical perfect, uh, perfection. Um, the Corinth church was around all the great Greek philosophers of the day and those men who could speak with such boldness and clearness and not ever use a um in their entire message. Well, that's what Paul has to say. He says, when I came to you, verse 1, Brother, and I did not come with superior of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimonies of God. If you've been in my office, this is a verse that is on my wall. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I did not use clever speech in any way to distract you from the main goal of all of scriptures that, that you would understand that Christ is glorified, that he's crucified, and that is what I want you to know. I don't want to deceive you in any way. That's my goal. I don't know anything but Jesus Christ, and I'm going to speak to you from the scriptures. Do you see the connection? Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I, so many have come up to me after a message says this, and go, Scott, I can't do that. I can't, I can't preach that way. I don't think God's asking you to preach, but he's asking you to share Christ, share the word of God. And you say, well, but you're, you're not afraid. Someone asked me that this week. I said, I've been preaching for many years, and I'm still down here with butterflies in my stomach, not because I'm scared of you. I'm scared because I'm handling this. I'm going to stand up and say, thus God's word says. It's a frightening thing. And I like what... Paul says here, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. We are not confident in ourselves, brothers and sisters. If you know or honest about anything about your personal life, you don't become confident in this. We become confident in the one who saved this and in his word. Look, his message, verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Sounds like Peter, right? but in the demonstration of the spirit of the power of power. So when we preach God's word, there's a demonstration of the spirit that comes with it. The spirit of God loves to take the things of God and press them on you. He doesn't like to take cleverly devised tales and press them on you. And God forbid if you come away and say, well, that was a good story Scott told. And you didn't hear the text. I failed. I failed. I didn't come with these pervasive words. 
I came with the spirit because I came with the word. Look, verse this, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. Oh, today we have the slickest willies out there now carrying the gospel, quote, message. They're slick. They're quick. They, they know how to speak in such a way that makes you feel so good about yourself. Paul said, I did not ever want your faith to rest upon what I have to say, but upon the power of God, he says. This is where we want men to rest in. Mankind needs to put their faith in God and the power and what his words have to say. Understand the Bible, that it has a creative order to it. There is a, perfective, a perfect God in heaven who made things in perfect man, rejects him, he sins. God lays out a plan to redeem him and to restore him and bring him back into his presence. That is the Bible. And when you get that, when you read that, you start to rest your faith on God and not on men. Do not be a follower of men. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. Verse six, yet we do not speak with wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Our wisdom doesn't come from man just being able to take enough classes to start to articulate great so he can, he can say the right things. I took 150 units in seminary and I, I had two classes on homiletics. That's the ability to preach, a style of preaching. So, 144 units of learning to love God's word. Give me a man who loves God's word and I'll turn him loose on God's people. That's what we want. Not wisdom that you and I can create of this age to figure out. Look at this, verse seven, but we speak God's wisdom in the mystery, hidden wisdom which God predestined predetermined before the ages of the glory. He says, we take the word of God and we dispense it. It's hidden from the world, but God predetermined this message to come. The wisdom which is none of the rulers of this age has understood. You're not gonna find God through the rulers of this world. They're gonna lead you away from him. And for this, he says, for if they had understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this is the work of the Spirit, to take natural men and make them believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and dwell them with the Spirit of God and so they can appraise things. We talk about this quite a bit today in today's world is where is your worldview? How do you view what's going on between Israel and Palestine? How do you view the world with all the problems that channel whatever we watch at six o'clock. What, what goes through your mind when you watch that? Shootings and rapes and murders and thefts. And then there's always that, the minute one really good person that they put up, a person of the week. How, how do you view all that? What, what lens do you look through? So we call it a Christian worldview. And we really should call it a biblical worldview of as we look at what is going on in the world and determine from the word of God those truths. Look at with me at 1 John chapter one. I want you to see another man that was on that mountain that day. He, he wants us to understand the word of God as well and who Christ is. And he writes in this way. 
by the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? It's all been around. That's how he starts the book of John out. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The equality of Christ with God. So he's back on that track, the incarnate word here. What we have heard from the beginning, what we, um, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Remember last week we, we said we can't disconnect Christ, the incarnate word, with the written word. You can't, you, can't, there's no, you can't divorce them. They come together, Christ and the word of God. You can't separate them. Verse two, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Christ was made plain to us, made real. That word manifest, plain, you can see it. We testify, we saw it. We touched it, we looked at it. He was with us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. That's what he's writing this book about. We're writing God's word, moved by the Holy Spirit to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with him, with, with the Father, and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And notice verse four. These things we write. They wrote it down. They wrote it down by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving them along. They wrote it down. Isn't that incredible? They wrote it down. So you and I, 2,000 years ago, can read what Jesus did and who he was and what the word of God is about. Stretched over 6,000 years and 40 different writers and 66 different books so we understand who Christ is and what his purpose was. See, Christ's glory revealed is an amazing thing. And the apostles, the apostles saw amazing things. Notice as you go back to our text, just flip back a page or two. Because there was an experience. There was an amazing thing that took place. Look at the end of verse 16. Sounds very much just like what John wrote. He said, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such utterances as this was made to him by the majestic glory, and this is what God said on that Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And notice what Peter says, we're not only eyewitnesses, we're ear witnesses. We ourselves heard these utterances. So he's, they're eyewitnesses and they're ear witnesses of what took place in Matthew chapter 17. Look with me there, go to Matthew 17, we need to see this experience. This is an amazing thing. I, I, again, another passage I really want to see the replay on. If the Lord will show it to us someday. What this look like? Three men, three earthly men get to see what no one else saw, but then they recorded in the scriptures for us. Jesus has his inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John. These are men that he is going to uh, help he, he's going to send out to plant the early church. They're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come along and move through them and write the scriptures. So he has these three men with him. Verse one, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. We get the word to metamorphose. 
unveiled. Something that was veiled, the veil is lifted. We, we see this in an earthly way of a caterpillar coming out of a cocoon. We use the same words. He metamorphosizes and he comes out and he's a beautiful butterfly. So he says this, Matthew says, and he was transfigured before them. Do you need further explanation what that looks like? Look at the next one. And his face shone like the sun. Please don't do this. But if you go look at that sun out there today, it's going to burn your eyeballs out of your head. Can you get your mind around just for a moment what happened here? The veil of our Lord, who veiled himself so so they would see him as man, so they would kill him and hang him on a cross for our sins, drops that veil for a moment so these three inner circle men could see who he was. His garments became white as light. I've seen some white garments, but none of them like light. This is an amazing experience. You know the story, Moses and Elijah show up. Peter says, Lord, it's really good for us to be here. This is really, really cool. This is a great experience. So we're going to build three tabernacles, two, three sacred tents so we can worship right here. God comes. And, he's, and he begins to speak. And a bright cloud overshadows them and the voice comes out of the cloud. It's God. And I don't know if you've heard of the Ten Commandments or we were watching Daniel last night on Netflix, and it was some raspy voice. <laughs> I, I don't know what that sounded like, but this is what he said. This is my beloved son in whom I can't be any more pleased with. He's perfect, in other words. He's me. <laughs> What's he say now? Listen to him. Listen to him. And as you turn back to 1 Peter, this is what he is talking about. This was an amazing experience as we were there. Look, we, we saw this, we, we touched, we were eyewitnesses, we see this, we heard, we, all of this. And that leads me to my next point. We should take heed and pay attention to the greater truth, which are the scriptures. Look at verse 19. After he lays out this experience, Peter says, but wait, 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 we have a prophetic word, more sure. More sure than that experience in Matthew 17. Oh, come on, Peter. Bright as the sun, clothes like light. Peter says, we got something more sure. This is it. There's no experience that you can have on this earth that trumps the word of God. God doesn't want you to hold to some experiences because those will change and they'll, they'll fade away. And you go, well, Scott, this, how did this fade away? They're still writing about it. Well, I think they did. Because in Luke 22, Peter goes, hey, Jesus, afterwards, night before his death, says, we'll go to prison. We'll even die for you. No, you're not. 
You're going to deny me. The experience ran out. In fact, when Christ comes to that point where they have the opportunity to stand, first he acts in his flesh, whacks an ear off, next he flees, and third he denies. Where's experience now? Now, I don't discredit the experience of Matthew 17, and I'm grateful for it. Matthew wasn't there, and he wrote about it because it's inspired. But the point, I think, what Peter is trying to make to us is, look, there's something better than that even, that experience. There's something more sure. It's the word of God. It's the prophetic word that has been given to you. And notice what he says, you would, you would do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in the dark place. I don't know how many people here like the woods here. I love being out in the wilderness. But I've been a couple of times where I didn't have a light. And I said, Lord, I'd give anything for a flashlight right now. Because I'm tripping and I'm not sure I'm even going the right direction. Look, the word of God is a lamp to your feet. Where did Peter get that out of? He's, he's teaching the Psalms, isn't he? Look, it, it's a lamp shining in the darkness. And, 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 and that's such a beautiful illustration. And if you've ever been in the darkest, pitches, dark of caves, we, on our recent vacation, we went into caves at a Tule Lake, and you get you know, half a mile down in there, and we turn out the flashlights. And you, it's so dark, you can feel it. And then one of the boys flips their light on, and darkness runs. See, the darkness can't pierce the light, but the light can pierce the darkness. And it says, look, it's a lamp. It's a lamp. Until the morning star arises in your heart, and this is clearly teaching of the, of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Use the scriptures till he returns. The same phrase is used throughout the book of Revelation and the return of Christ. Use the scriptures. See, the problem is an emotional relationship with Christianity won't set people free. It won't set you free. An emotional relationship. If you want to just date the church, date Christianity, get out of it what you want, it ain't going to last. And it's going to prove to be not true. But it is truth that sets you free. Jesus himself said this. Listen to this verse. Just jot it down. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who were believing in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my, if you continue following me, believing in my words, the truth will set you free. That's what he does for us. John 17, the night before his death, verse 16, he prays us in the garden. They are not of this world, even as not of, it, not of this world. I'm not of it, they're not of it. Sanctify, set apart, cause them to be holy in truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17, remember that verse. Your word is truth. And, and paying attention to the, to the word of God just helps in so many areas. Look at Psalms 19 just real briefly here. Psalms 19. I just want to scour this thing very quickly. Psalm 19 is a beautiful text on, on, um, on God revealing himself, what we call um, general revelation in the first six verses. You can know there's a God through creation. Romans 1 
qualifies this text and supports this truth that that man's out without excuse because night after night, day after day, he just pours forth his truthfulness even in creation to us. But in verse seven, he switches and starts to speak of what we would refer to as special revelation. And he uses words like this to speak of the word of God. He uses the word law, Torah, didactic instructional teaching of God, his testimony, his, um, his precepts, which are his statutes, his commandments, his, his pureness, his worship, the word of God is called that, and his judgment. So look at verse seven as we go down through her, for the law of the Lord is perfect. So this is why it's a lamp in a dark place. God's law, not, not just, don't, just don't think 10 commandments there, think about his didactic, the instructional nature of the word of God. Think about every, it, it gives you everything you need to walk in this world. So the law, the, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Why would we want to give anything else out? It restores the soul. Is your soul burdened today? If we went around the room, it would be incredible the testimonies would go on here. What just happened this last week? From everything from a loss of loved one to broken relationship to whatever else. The word of God restores the soul. Put your trust in it. The testimonies, this divine witness of God. He can give his own testimony because he's perfect. This is the testimony of the Lord and it's sure. Anybody else got something that's sure today? I'm sure the laws are going to change on health care. Jesus is unchanging and his word is unchanging. It's sure. I am not preaching something new. My brothers before me for 2,000 years have preached the same message to the church. We believe it. It doesn't change. It's sure. You can stand on it. This thing's got a foundation underneath it. And it makes the wise simple, or or it's a way of saying, look, it can take people who say, you know, I just don't know anything, and it can make you wise. Has ability to take people who struggle. Maybe their mind just doesn't work the way they would like it to, but the scriptures do that. I've watched it happen. Notice that the precepts of the Lord. These are his divine principles, his statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Are you downtrodden today, brother or sister? Read your Bible. I just finished Job in my personal reading. And I wept with Job as I went through it. And I relate it in some areas. And, and, and here comes my God in the end. He shows up in chapter 38 and he asks 84 questions that me or Job couldn't answer. And he's God and let him be God and let him rule and let him be sovereign. Let him let you suffer because he loves you. Oh, it rejoices your heart. Find joy in the word of God. Commandments of the Lord are pure. These are his divine decrees. And everybody is attacking the word of God today. We don't think that's what marriage is. We don't think this or that. And they discredit the word of God constantly. These are the divine decrees of God. 
And do you want to stand before him someday and say, well, I just didn't believe that third one or that first one or that one. He's perfect in all that he does and enlightens your eyes. You start to see truth when you hold to the word of God. Look at the fear of the Lord. This is the awe, the worship of the Lord. That's a reverence to the word of God, that it's true, it's clean, it's not muddied up. It's lucid, it's pure. And notice the word of God endures forever. And so I can stand here this morning unashamed to preach what the brothers before us have preached for 2,000 years. They don't change. And notice that his judgments, these divine verdicts of God, the divine verdicts of the Lord, they are true. Someone asked me this week, said, where's my loved one? And I said, I don't know. I can't look into the heart of man, but here's what I can promise you is our God is perfect in all that he does. And when you stand before him, you will be totally satisfied in his judgment. You will not question it. You will embrace it. And you will live forever with it, believing that he is perfect. So why don't we start now? Saying, God, you're right. I believe you. They're righteous altogether. Every one of them, they're righteous. And look, they're better than gold. Gold. You can lose your shirt in gold right now. Up and down, but yet it has a certain value to it, right? And people long for gold. Oh, it's more desirable than gold. It means that it's of great possession to have the word of God. So you and I are, are rich in this because I, I have lots of Bibles. I have Hebrew Bibles, Greek Bibles. I have Spanish Bibles sitting in my office in case somebody comes in. I got Bibles at home, Bibles in my car, Bibles on my phone, Bibles on my pad. I got Bibles everywhere. I'm the richest man according to this verse. I'm way richer than the world. It's sweeter than honey. It's pleasurable to read the word of God. And you may think that sweet tarts are really sweet now, but they didn't have that when David wrote this. Honey was the sweetest thing on the earth. And especially that that dripped out of the comb as you sucked on the wax of that comb. Look, they're good for our protection. You're warned by them, verse 11. And there's great profit if you keep them. Literally, it means there's great end to it if you hold to the scriptures. Who can discern his errors? Look, they acquit me of hidden faults and they know, verse 13, my presumptuous sins. So there's sins I don't know about, but the word of God will show it to me and there's sins I do know about and the word of God will show that to me. Make sense? Read it. Verse 12. Excuse me, verse, end of middle 13. Then I will be blameless and I shall acquit the great transgressions. See, it has results to it. It starts to get me lined up with my Savior. I start coming in behind him now instead of venturing all these places. And I want to get in, I want to eat his dust in a sense. I want to be right behind him. That's what it does. I find myself not struggling with sin like I used to. And then verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Literally, this is how I would translate. Let your words be my words. Let your thoughts be my thoughts. And you can't know that if you don't read your Bible. Because he's our rock. And he's our redeemer. Turn to Psalms 19. Just look at the first 11 verses of Psalms 119. 
these same terms that we just read, law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, they're all here. Psalms 19, you could just, this week, you could just read one little section. It's, it's broken up in the Hebrew alphabet here for you. Use the eight or nine, maybe 10, 12 verses in each one of them. But look at the first section. How blessed are those who walk is blameless, whose walk is in the law, the Torah of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, his divine witness of himself, who seek him with their hearts. They also do no unrighteousness because the Bible keeps you from that. They walk in his ways. That's another word for the Bible. You have ordained your precepts, these divine principles, that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways, your book, may be established to keep your statutes, your divine principles. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments, your divine decrees, and I shall give thanks to you with an upright heart, and when I learn of your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, you have accountability. Talk to your friends. No, no, those those are all good things. By keeping it according to his word, by keeping himself according to the word. That's how young men keep themselves pure. That's how anybody does. Verse 10, with all my heart, I have sought you. You not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured stored in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you just go on and read. The time is fleeting fast, but look at the last point as we turn back to the scriptures in 1 Peter. Do you believe the process of inspiration that created inerrancy? Do you believe in the process of inspiration that created the inerrant scriptures? Look at verse 20 back in our text. But, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But men moved by the Spirit of God spoke from God. It's interesting how Peter lays this out. Peter tells us that, that what Scripture is not. Scripture did not originate with men in verse 20. It tells us that. It was not man's message, man's truth that they preached and revealed. There was no prophecy of Scripture. No of one, none of one's own interpretations. Scripture is, is not come to be in some way. Notice he uses the word is in there. That, see that verb right after scripture in verse 20? But, none, but, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is. It is the verb that we translate better probably come to be one's own attempt. So, that, so today's theology of scripture in so many places says, well, you make scripture be God's word by the way you apply it to your life. <laughs> well, that's dangerous. Because it can change for everybody's application. You know, the Bible says, no prophecy has come to be through somebody's interpretation of it. It stands alone. It's inerrant. It doesn't need our aid to do those things. Scripture is not the result of human enterprise or endeavor. One's own interpretation. Term refers to one's own idea. So when we preach up here, myself or any of the other elders or anyone we let in this pulpit, we tell them, preach a word. That's what Paul told Timothy. Well, Timothy, preach whatever you think in season and out of season. See the dangers of that? But look at verse 21. 
Again, a negative, no prophecy was ever made by a human act of the, of the human will. It, it just, it didn't come about by human will. Scripture's not the result of human decisions or the act of human will. So Peter tells us what Scripture is not, but then he tells us what it is. It's, it's the product, it's the it's a product of God. God himself, the spirit of God, moved men. The word moves is a fascinating word. It has the idea of over, an overruling direction. It has a destiny to its object that it uses. It's, it's the Greek word phrero, phrero here. And it means to convey, to be borne along. Jesus uses of men carrying somebody who couldn't carry themselves on a sick bed, a paralytic. In Acts, it's used of ships moved along by the wind. In other words, the authors, by the sovereign hand of God, were lifted up and carried by the Holy Spirit. So at the same time, they spoke and they wrote what God wanted and what they wanted. Isn't that incredible? So God takes these men, Peter and James and John and Paul, and he moves them along and moves right through them. And they they write as though they're writing their own words, but God's writing through them. Every jot and tittle. So that you and I have the word of God. I'm out of time. I wanted to take you to a passage in Job. We'll hit it another time. But let me close and move to communion with this verse. Romans 15, verse 4. I'd forgotten about this verse. I read it in my own Bible reading this week. It says this. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions. Hmm. Job's really early. Job's probably before Abraham. I read Job this week. It's written for Scott's instructions so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So many people come into my office and they're hopeless. Do you read your Bible? No. Do you believe the word of God? I don't know. They don't have any hope. If you're struggling with hope, hope in job, parenting, marriage, life, relationships, read the Bible. Read the Bible, see Jesus glorified, and you'll have hope. It's the greatest thing on earth given to us. It'll lead you to Christ. It'll lead you to the cross. It'll lead you to hope. Father, we are so grateful that you put on the leadership's heart to do this series on the scriptures, Lord. Lord, we have to often be reminded of these truths. We live in a world of just information. The highway is packed with information. And Lord, it sometimes just consumes us and we find ourselves thinking unbiblically. And then, Lord, we're left with nothing to offer anybody. We don't have anything to offer them because we don't know the word of God. Our minds have been consumed with the world's thoughts. Father, we don't want to be that way. Not as a church, not as individuals. Lord, I I can speak for parents. I can hear them here, Lord. Just wanting to say, Lord, I want to lead my children. Father, give the moms and dads in this room an insatiable appetite for the word of God. Give grandparents that maybe, maybe they would confess, I didn't do that. Give them a second shot with grandchildren. Let 
a little one climb up in a grandparent's lap as they read the Bible to them. Lord, let us all wake up in the morning, our lunch break, our evening, and open our Bibles, Lord, and hear the sweet, pure word of God instruct us for life and godliness. Father, please, burden us today to be people of the word. In Jesus' name. 